This is Will Baker, president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, and welcome to our continuing podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. I'm joined by Tom Zolper. Tom, you've been with us about eight or nine years, I think. That's right, Will. Staff person at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, responsible for all media relations, press work in our Maryland operations. We have similar folks in Virginia and in Pennsylvania. So welcome, Tom. Thank you, Will. Glad to have you. You, as, as many CBF staff, you don't only do the job you're assigned. You're given additional responsibilities. Uh, we like to get as much as we can out of all of us. <laughs> and um, one of the things you've taken uh, an interest in and have really run with this summer, and I think we did a little bit of it last summer as well, is organize uh, volunteers to do bacteria testing of local streams, especially after big rainstorms. And we're just now starting to get the results. T tell us a little bit about the project, uh, how it built on what we did uh, a year ago, and the scope of it this year, because it's pretty broad. Sure, it's gotten, it's gotten larger this year. If I could step back and just say that the reason we started this, Will, is we realized that people often don't know the health of their little streams and rivers. If you live on the bay itself, you're taking an interest in the water. But we found that, especially in areas that are, you know, 50, 60, 70 miles from the bay, there's lots of water, but people really have no idea what's in it. And uh, we got this idea of testing for bacteria because bacteria can have an immediate um, impact on human health. And so we thought people could relate to that rather than something more abstract. It's bacteria. It's um, it's human or animal waste, to be perfectly frank. And it and affects people when they have water contacts. Exactly. Swimming, wading, playing in the water, kids, things like that. Exactly. So last year, we, we did a, a small, you can call it a pilot project in three counties, Frederick County, Howard County, and Hartford County. All Maryland counties. All Maryland counties. And this year, we expanded that Maryland program. Uh, to five counties and Baltimore City, and we also started pilot programs in Pennsylvania, Dauphin and Cumberland counties in Pennsylvania, and also a small pilot program uh, around the Richmond area in Virginia. In Virginia. So we're now in Virginia, Maryland, and Pennsylvania with this specific project. Exactly. Right. So um, we had altogether 50-some, 50 55 test sites in those three uh, states, so a lot of volunteers working hard. Um, some of them called themselves storm chasers because unlike other testing programs, we wanted to know what impact does rain have and stormwater, polluted runoff on these streams. So within 24 hours of a storm, we would have our volunteers running out with their plastic bottles and scooping up a sample and then taking it back to a laboratory, either a commercial professional laboratory or a uh, college laboratory that was suited for doing this kind of testing. So we got a, a lot of information and yesterday we made it public. Polluted runoff. People hear the term. Before we get into the results of the testing, t tell us a little bit about what polluted runoff is. Why is, well, first of all, what's runoff? We want to make sure we define our terms and why is it polluted? Great question and it's this is probably the least understood of all the types of pollution that harm the Chesapeake Bay. And runoff, let's start there. Every time it rains, think of a, a summer thunderstorm. 
Uh, it may last only an hour or two. You look out your window, you see all the, the water running down your, your sidewalk or perhaps out of your, your driveway. Well, as that runs towards the storm drains, it picks up all kinds of contaminants. It picks up the, the weed killer or the fertilizer from a lawn, but it also picks up the dog waste that happens to be out, be out by the street. And often, oftentimes it picks up um, human waste from leaking septic systems or even leaking sewer systems, the pipes that are in our cities and suburbs. And so all that is carried very quickly to local streams that are running through our neighborhoods. And, and animal waste. And animal and, waste. As birds, raccoons, deer. Right. Uh, all, yeah. And, and we should also mention in rural areas, oftentimes livestock waste, right. uh, cows or, or pigs, depending on where you live. So this stew of pollutants um, runs very quickly and, and with a lot of force directly into our streams. Downstream, the next day, you might, might find people at a swimming hole swimming. Um, you may find someone putting in their kayak. Um, so um, it, there can be real damage done by polluted runoff to human beings. So how do you, how, you, how, you, you, how do you test for it? You, I understand you take the water samples. Uh, we go to a certified, well-accredited laboratory what are they looking for? And now tell us a little bit about what they're finding. Sure. They look for sort of what they call indicator bacterias that will tell them if there is fecal matter in the water. And uh, the federal government, the US EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, is very specific how you do these sorts of tests. And the laboratories are very familiar with that. So they're looking for a particular bacteria. Oftentimes, they'll actually count the, the colonies, the number of colonies of bacteria there, it's very specific, and then they produce a number. And you can compare that number, which represents how much fecal matter is in order, to what the EPA says is a safe level. So to give you an idea, we'll start with 61. And the EPA says if you find um, more indicator bacteria called Enterococcus, that's one of the bacteria in your water, unsafe. Above this level above, of 61, above 61 colonies, I suppose, of bacteria in per a liter or something like yep. that. Right. So keep that in mind, 61. We'll just pick one county as an example, Howard County in Maryland. Every single sample we took was above the 61. Even when it was dry out, had been dry for several days, after a rainstorm, we saw levels spiking up to 20,000. 30,000, 30,000 compared to 61. That's how high the fecal matter is in some of the streams. And we were seeing those same results at swimming holes where people were swimming the next day. So very um, unknown, to, unknown to many people, our own state environmental agency says best not to swim for 48 hours after a, a significant storm. Um, what we found just underscores that, that, that polluted runoff is really harming our water and has the potential to harm human beings, to make them sick. And we've, we've always uh, said and reported and known that health departments on the tidal tributaries and main stem of the Chesapeake have said it's generally wise to stay out of the water 
24, 48 hours is better after a big rainstorm. That's right. More than half an inch. But now we're realizing that that's true well up the tributaries, up the rivers, into these little streams that are running rapidly that you think of as carrying any problem away, wherever away is, right. uh, down to the bay, I guess. Right. And so this is something that everybody should be concerned of. And there's so many tributaries, so many creeks and swimming holes and streams, really almost impossible for health departments to get out there do the kind of monitoring and tell people uh, on a on a uh, on real time basis. Right. So, people have got to take their own well being uh, into consider. They have to take responsibility for their own well being and right. and just keep the kids out of the swimming hole, at least until something improves in terms right. of the constituents in the runoff. Right. Exactly. And uh, you make a great point, Will. We you know we find that. The little tiny streams running through a neighborhood in Frederick or Howard or even Carroll County, the same ills as the Chesapeake Bay, the, the broad Chesapeake Bay that we think of. Sometimes people who live far away from the bay think, well, we don't have the same problems that you have in the Chesapeake Bay. But in fact, we're seeing from these tests the exact same problems, uh, polluted streams, polluted rivers, um, same problems that we see in the Chesapeake Bay. And and for that reason, on the one hand, yes, you're, you're absolutely right, people. We did this as an instructional, educational exercise, but we also want people to take action. We, we want them, once they're aware of the problem, to make their elected officials, their government officials aware, because they do have a responsibility, the government, to reduce the pollution in those streams, to clean up the water. So let's give the website right now. We'll come back to that at the end. And then I want to pick up on just where you left off. These problems are not insolvable. We can address them. And in fact, they're part of the overall Chesapeake Clean Water Blueprint because a lot more comes off in addition to bacteria that are hurt, that's hurting the bay downstream. Right. So cbf.org slash bacteria will get you to the part of CBF's website that has the, the data and the information about the, all the streams that were monitored. Exactly. Yep. And that, that Howard County was just one site, but we're finding similar results across the watershed. Right. Where we sampled, one could extrapolate that these results are not unique to where we sampled. They're probably any stream throughout the watershed. Right. And realize anybody who, who sort of follows weather, uh, a summer thunderstorm can dump two inches of rain uh, in Annapolis, and then three miles away, it's um, you know less than a, uh, an inch or something. So there's a lot of variables. Um, we saw uh, that Pennsylvania, for instance, had a very dry, unusually dry uh, summer. Uh, Virginia had extremely wet summer, and Maryland was someplace in the middle. So not all the states are, are easily to, easy to compare, but you'll see the same sort of spikes after a rainstorm. Right. So let's come back to solutions. Uh, the, the runoff from land, uh, I remember years ago, a scientist saying we forgot about the land when asked uh, what he would do differently if he knew then what he knew, if he knew at the start of his career what he knew then. The land and what comes off it is critical to the overall health of the Bay. And there are multiple strategies which can be put in place there are significant government programs to provide landowners, farmers with cost share monies to help put in place these strategies. 
Things like vegetated buffers along a creek can filter a lot of the runoff. It's never going to be perfect, but we as a society can mitigate these problems dramatically if we uh, begin to use strategies that uh, we've known about for years and we've, we've started doing, but nowhere near enough. Am, am I on the right track here? Absolutely. And there's, this is not a problem that's limited to the Chesapeake Bay, unfortunately. It, it's a problem across the country, but you know, we should note that there's thousands of towns and counties that have really recognized this problem. Many of them have begun collecting a special stormwater fee to help them pay for some of this work uh, because it can be expensive. But there are also inexpensive fixes that governments can use. We had a report presented to us last year that for maybe $25, a homeowner oftentimes can disconnect the downspout that carries the rain off their roof and instead of just letting it gush into the storm drain, can let it flow into a, a garden or onto the lawn. The so-called rain gardens. The rain gardens. And um, they, scientists have actually studied a, a neighborhood in Baltimore, Roland Park, to see if, if a certain percentage, 10, 20% did this, would that have any impact on a local stream? In fact, a lot of impact, a tremendous reduction in nitrogen uh, pollution. So they, they modeled this out? They did a computer they, model? They did a computer model out to see if it would have a, a real impact. And so uh, you're absolutely right. There's, there's many things that local governments can do, some expensive, but not necessarily. It's a matter of political will oftentimes. It's a matter of um, constituents uh, insisting that this work needs to be done. And this is a, um, a challenge, uh, a need for urban, suburban, and rural areas all. Because Absolutely. each one of them has a part to play and their local streams can be affected. Absolutely. So. so what we'd really like to see our members and our listeners do is if they're concerned, as we think they should be, as we are, about this situation is let elected officials know that these are issues which affect, th th this is a situation which affects people's health, especially kids, especially in the summer, and they're solvable. We can direct resources and, and technical knowledge and scientific understanding to the problem to make it better uh, going forward and to reduce the amount of runoff which is carrying also nitrogen and phosphorus which are key pollutants of the bay downstream. Right, exactly. And, and people should know that the benefits, if this work is done, is not just being uh, more uh, relaxed when your children are swimming, and that's a huge benefit, but we haven't even mentioned some of the other pollutants that are in polluted runoff. Um, we could probably have a, a whole list. And that's, you know, killing the local streams. Affecting fish and wildlife. Fish and wildlife. Oftentimes the water is coming so quickly that it creates tremendous flooding problems. Um, so your, your benefits are numerable from doing this kind of work, um, not just uh, to human beings, but to aquatic life. And uh, there's economic benefits as well as environmental benefits. Well, it's fascinating how uh, things evolve. I mean, as society began to uh, grow and build communities, the, the concept was let's get the stormwater, the rainwater off our 
hardened surfaces as quickly as we can and into the storm drain and into the creek. Now planners are realizing that's just the wrong strategy. Mm. We want to slow down rainwater, allow nature to per allow the water, rainwater, the stormwater to percolate through the soil and sublayers, and that's really nature's way of cleansing it. Um, so going back to uh, the original design of nature right. uh, often makes a lot more sense than the structured design of engineering and. And, and creating this sort of uh, rapid flow of water off the land. Right. We have the solution. And ironically, it's the solution that was here 200 years ago, uh, but sort of just now it'd have to be engineered in a human way. And interestingly enough, the local governments know that as well. They're under uh, a requirement by the Clean Water Act to reduce this kind of pollution. And they, they have goals to do exactly the kind of work that you're describing. Um, you know, rain gardens and buffers and so forth, and it's just a matter of doing the work. And one of the things we hear about uh, from suburban and urban planners is that this is really greening the developed parts of our watershed and bringing green and vegetated areas back into the suburbs, back into the cities. Uh, I've also heard city planners talk about the huge benefits of, of reducing flooding. Sure. which is a real issue in the in the urban and suburban areas, uh, especially as global warming increases the frequency and intensity of storms. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tom Zolper, thanks very much. Let's give that website again. It's uh, www.cbf.org slash bacteria. Great. And I thank you very much. Uh, appreciate the work. Uh, we'll have to get out a good word to all the volunteers who participated. Uh, CBF constantly has opportunities for uh, volunteers to participate and be part of our, uh, our world. So this is Will Baker, president of CBF. Thanks very much for joining us.